All right, everyone, welcome to the Movie Change Up Podcast Disney Plus Weekly Review. I'm your main host, Joe Fricky, along with my, as always, co-host, Tristan Mayer. Uh, if you haven't watched our show before, and you probably haven't because this is only our second iteration of this, uh, each week, usually Friday night, Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon sometime, we're going to break down uh, this past week on Disney Plus, the shows that have come out, maybe any movies that have dropped. Uh, you know, we especially started to do this because we have a big show in the Marvel Universe, a big show in the Star Wars Universe, you know, coming out. Uh, at the same time so we figured instead of doing two separate reviews let's just combine them together and do it all in one one go so that's what we decided to do uh tristan what were your thoughts kind of on that overall disney plus this week you think it was a good week for disney plus it was a pretty good week we got two big episodes of tv shows and we also got a movie which is a new kind of a new thing for disney plus to launch free movies rather than having to pay the 30 bucks so it was nice to get a a free movie for once and i think we have another one coming up fairly soon but yeah, it was pretty solid week. Uh, I, I liked a lot. I liked one of the episodes a lot, and the other one I thought was was pretty good. We'll get into it more as we go. Yeah, I'm kind of in a similar boat. I think I liked. I, th- I thought both were really good, so it'll be interesting to talk about. Uh, you want to start with the first one I have on the list, which was the episode of Loki titled "The Variant," season one, episode two. Yeah, it was good. I want to start with that one. So it took a good amount of notes for that. So I have. I have a lot to go with you, Joe. We're going to go scene by scene and kind of get some thoughts on this. But then All at right. the end, we definitely have a lot of kind of theories going around on the internet that I want to get your thoughts on. Okay, yeah, I got some theories too and some speculation and kind of some ideas I've thought about for a long time. So Since Wednesday, anyways. Well, what were your thoughts on the episode generally? Uh, overall, I thought it was really good. I don't know if it was last week on this show or just in conversations with people. It was Loki. I, I've never been a big Loki fan. I mean, I thought he was solid. I thought he was fine. Uh, there were a number of times I thought we were just kind of done with the character, so I wasn't really that interested in the show. I knew I would check it out, but I'm really liking it so far. I like it a lot more than I thought I would, that's for sure. Yeah, I'm very impressed by it. I remember at first we were talking about, are we, do we want to talk about Loki or not on this show? And I think both of us at this point agree that it's worth talking about, even if it's just for the fun of the episode, even comparatively to the theories. No, this franchise loves to have the fans that run out and have these crazy theories. You've seen that in previous shows, but this is one that I think encourages it and I think makes it kind of fun and even if by the end nothing really turns out of it this journey of it and like just kind of the fun of this first few episodes I'm really having a good time with it so yeah I'm into it and I can't wait to see what comes next and if any of these theories come to fruition or not yeah that's where I'm at alright so like you said the second episode uh, last week we got a cliffhanger where we found out that the variant they're chasing is obviously a variant of Loki and we kind of get that cliffhanger ending and we don't see who it is but we're told essentially the variant is you and now we open up on yet another attack from that variant we're led to believe for a second or two that we're in the renaissance times but nope we're actually in the 1980s yeah Oshkosh <laughs> Wisconsin Oshkosh Wisconsin yep some Midwest representation up there you know shout out to Oshkosh get your MCU uh, paychecks going through mm-hmm. that city of Oshkosh but yeah it's a renaissance fair and the TVA uh, has kind of arrived here, and they get in this confrontation with who we now. Well, I'm going to call her Lady Loki for the course of the episode, but you might. Yeah, I was going to say our theory, those. my theory, my. I mean, it wasn't like wholly my theory. A lot of people had this thought too. Was uh, when the Loki variant showed up and they didn't reveal its face to be Tom Hiddleston. Like I was definitely on board for it being Lady Loki. So. 
I'm yeah, gonna... Joe called it last week on the podcast, and I'll give you credit for that one, Joe, for now, until we get to the end of the episode. I might have to take the points back if it turns out that you were wrong about that theory, but we'll see. All right. Uh, anyway, we get back to this action scene. We have yet another appearance of Holding Out for Your Hero. I think it's the third appearance of that song this week in pop culture. <laughs> it was in the Guardians of the Galaxy trailer last week. Uh, E3 this week. It was also in the the Masters of the Universe trailer, and that was in Loki. So oh, yeah. unfortunate timing that I'm kind of burnt out on the song. But here we go. Uh, action sequence. What do you think of this uh, scene here with the mo- song montage setting up the episode here? Another attack from the variant Loki. Yeah, I thought it was cool. I thought I thought it was kind of interesting that that song played like during the villain attack. So I wonder if it's almost a foreshadowing of maybe we watch this season of the show and we you know go back and watch this episode and we realize maybe this quote unquote Lady Loki was the hero after all. Yeah, I think at the very least they're gonna give her a sympathetic angle to come from this. Like maybe the TVA took out her timeline and she's here for revenge, or maybe uh, her. Her people were destroyed. The TV is not letting her save them because, oh, that's an important Nexus event. They have to die. That's part of the course history or whatever. And I think they'll give her a sympathetic angle because, like Loki said in the episode, nobody who's good is truly good. Nobody who's bad is fully bad, something like that. And I yeah. think that's something the show is going for. Is Sure, Loki's the villain, but also he has a heart. And I think they wouldn't have a Loki sympathy show and then have the bad guy just be bad. <laughs> yeah. I think that kind of defeats the point of the show. So, yeah, yeah. I definitely think that foreshadows a turn to a turn to good or some kind of reveal of being good the whole time around from the Loki. Yeah. We didn't talk last week about the title sequence. So what do you think of the title? Just kind of like the swapping between the fonts, very simple, quick yeah. title sequence. Yeah, I like it. I think it ties into the whole multiverse angle and different, you know, different worlds and all that. So I, I like it. Yeah, I think it's pretty cool, especially like compared to WandaVision that had those really long elaborate title sequences it's kind of like oh it's just like here's the title <laughs> almost yeah. like the bad batch title sequence where it's like oh here it is a, a bad batch yeah it also reminded reminds me of like those serial killer notes where they just like cut out pages from like magazines and whatnot to assemble a note so you can't mm-hmm. say for their handwriting but i also think that kind of ties into the whole 1950s 60s kind of aesthetic too so yep Speaking of magazines, uh, Loki is now slacking off reading about jet, uh, jet skis in this jet ski ordering magazine from the 90s. Uh, he's supposed to be studying, but he's not really studying. And Miss Minutes shows up as sort of a hologram to confront him and say, Loki, why aren't you studying? Do you know your stuff? And Loki recites off that he does know his stuff. Uh, but then he starts harassing Miss Minutes, asking her, like, if he can hit her with the book, he's trying to hit her and, at my desk and mess with her. And, they get this interesting line of saying, like, are you a recording or are you real? And she says, well, sort of both. And I think that's kind of interesting for yeah. the show. So many things are one, kind of one thing, kind of another. And if you think about it too hard, it doesn't make sense. But stop yeah. thinking about it so hard, and it, it'll make sense. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I thought it was kind of cool to see Miss Minutes again. You mentioned last week that it was Tara Strong, and I was curious if it was just like a cameo for the one scene or whatever or if she was going to be a character that comes back and it looks like at least yeah. for one more scene we got miss minutes yeah i think she'll be kind of a recurring character maybe not in every episode but i think she'll have a scene in most episodes moving forward so uh mobius comes in and interrupts this kind of fight scene between loki and uh, miss minutes and says oh there's been an attack uh we got to head out because it was get it's the attack you saw at the beginning of the episode 
Uh, there's been an attack by the other variant Loki, and now it's your chance to prove it, prove your loyalty, Loki. You're coming out with us. Uh, so we get this kind of cool. You mentioned last week, like a cop show vibe for this show. We get that here, like the team's getting ready. They're all kind of gearing up, and the guys mm -hmm. giving out the plan, you know. And they even have like a little hologram of them, of you know, in a cop show. I'd imagine like, oh, here's the map, or like even a video game. So oh, here's where you got to go from here to here. But it's like, oh, we've got. It could be any Loki, and they are showing like a couple of different, yeah. like multiverse versions of Loki. Yeah, yeah someone like half troll Loki. Yeah, someone on TikTok showed there was the one where he has like the rain suit or whatever on, where uh, apparently I guess they just took like a paparazzi photo of Tom Hiddleston and photoshopped <laughs> a rain rain suit on him. That's funny. But yeah, this is this is a funny scene. I I like the comedy of this episode a lot, and I think you can tell like the writer of this show is a. Also, I read on Rick, on Rick and Morty, so yeah. I think he has these moments where he can let that like sci-fi comedy uh, past kind of yeah. shine through. And here's one of those scenes. I especially like uh, the troll Loki. That's like a half troll, half <laughs> half Loki. Yeah, I really like that. I thought it was more like Hulk, but either way, I thought it was really kind of cool looking. Yeah, I like I like the cop vibes of the scene. Like I said, they're kind of yeah. getting ready to go out on their mission and getting their getting their goals yeah. and loki has this kind of weird scene here where mobius i didn't write down the specifics but mobius mentions a power that loki has and loki says oh well i'm um, actually it's this power and, and kind oh, of yeah. corrects him and i wasn't sure this is kind of a weird scene i was like is this just like an overwritten not that funny scene or is this like loki trying to distract them or something <laughs> i don't know I think but, it's more just showing Loki's personality and, and like showing that he always has to be right and always has to be the smartest person in the room. I think it's more, more what that scene was trying to convey. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. It's just Loki trying to flex and be like, "Oh, I know more than everybody else, even more than the TBA," you know. Yeah. And yeah. people online are trying to say, "Oh, well, what about?" I'm sure that's going to be important. And I'm like, "Well, probably not." Yeah. <laughs> Some scenes are just jokes, you know. Yeah. But then they kind of get this explanation of how, as soon as they show up in this Renaissance Fair, we get sort of an explanation of how these time travel things work. Is that because this is a Nexus event or like a, a key event, uh, it has to play out in real time. They can't just go back and change a specific moment or specific. Because uh, Loki asked them, why don't you just show up as soon as before the attack even happens? And Mobius essentially says, oh, they got to play out in real time. So I Which I think kinda... was just their way of explaining for like the viewers of why they don't do that. They're like, okay, that's the one <laughs> thing people are going to say on social media and on Twitter and TikTok and Reddit and all that. It's like, why don't they just show up before the attack and kidnap Loki, but the, kidnap like you know Lady Loki or whoever it is. And it's like, well, uh, because we can't, that's why. Yeah, I like a lot of this episode feels like that. And they even address it kind of directly later on. It's like a lot of this doesn't make sense if you think about it too hard, but especially like time travel gets so wonky and complicated yeah. but i do think like having it play out in real time is kind of the thing that comes back later in the episode and i think it's interesting that they give it this this one rule it's like okay it has to be real time and that's all you really get and yeah i wonder how much they're going to play with that now that we kind of get that little bit of a rule but you also get a little hint here that the tva might be a little bit more evil than we think because loki's been doing his homework and they they pop quiz trivia him on what do these disintegration bomb things do and he explained it to him and says essentially that it 
kills and disintegrates anybody around them. So the TVA is essentially wiping out all of these innocent people right now. Yeah. <laughs> like when they put this thing down and set it off, they're essentially killing this Renaissance Fair full of civilians in the name of the sacred timeline. And I think that hints to a bit of a shadier darkness of the TVA has been building up over these two episodes. For sure, yeah. They're not exactly on the up and up as they claim to be. And I think that's something that'll definitely, like, I'm imagining WandaVision where it's like, you're kind of ahead of it because you know Agatha's probably bad, you know, and then, like, people say, oh, well, there's got to be more to it, but maybe it's just the TVA's bad, you know, and I'm down for that, too. I think that's kind of fun, like, all this shady corporate uh, overlords that turn out to be the bad guys, and then Loki and and Lady Loki that we thought were the bad guys got to work together. You know, that's just, that's a fun kind of arc, and I like these little hints like that, that Sure, they're doing it for a good reason, but they're doing something bad. It also reminded me, too, of Captain America's line. I can't remember which Avengers it was, but he says, we don't trade lives, and I feel like that kind of defines what the yeah. MCU views as, like, heroic behavior. It's like the people yeah. who can save everybody, no matter, like, what the yeah. what the cost to them as individual heroes is, you know? And the fact that the TVA is just casually disintegrating people, I think, shows that they're not quite heroes yeah. in yeah. the eyes of the MCU yeah I don't remember which movie it is either but definitely I think it might be Infinity War but doesn't matter it was one of the one of those Avengers ones you know I think I've seen those a couple of times but they arrive at the crime scene here and Loki I think is much is way too in over his head at this point and he just kind of starts talking you know he gives this monologue about how back in my day in Asgard we had this saying and by the end of the scene you can tell that he's just trying to talk his way out of this situation and he's dragging it out as long as he possibly can yep. and then he has his final ultimatum saying I gotta see the time uh, time keepers before it's too late they're in danger and Mobius kind of looks him up and down for a second and says you're lying and yeah. calls him out so what would you think of this scene here Joe? Yeah I really liked it you know I, I really like uh, Owen Wilson as Mobius I, th- I was kind of like concerned at first I mean before the show started once I kind of saw him in action in episode one I realized it worked but I just wasn't exactly sure how Owen Wilson as in like an MCU kind of show would be I expected him more to be like the comedic relief character which to a degree he is but he's still relatively serious and I, I like the character a lot so far yeah, I like it a lot, too. I think he's a fun kind of straight man to Loki's goofy character. And even though he has some kind of quirks and charm to him, he's definitely like the... He's not like the goofy kind of bubbly character I think of Owen Wilson. So I'm, I'm liking the performance, and I'm thinking he's a great counter to, to the performance you're getting from Tom Hiddleston, too. Yeah, for sure. We get a good scene here with the Mo- Mobius where he uh, meets with the judge after this mission that kind of went awry where Loki was brought out to capture this other Loki and then, of course, just tailed him along and gave him nothing. So he's being reprimanded a bit by this judge. You saw her from last week. I can't remember what her name is. Renfair or something? It's <laughs> not something. Renfair. That's where we just were. <laughs> something <laughs> like that. But in the comics, she is married to King the Conqueror, who a lot of people assume is going to be the next kind of Thanos of the MCU. So, Yeah, and we're getting some uh, potential... In this show, too, people are thinking, oh, is Kane the Conqueror going to show up because she's in this? Maybe they're going to kind of kind of bit and make Kane the Conqueror into being a timekeeper. So that's kind of a theory going around, too. Uh, when we get to theories, I'll have my theories on the timekeepers. 
And I like this scene as well. It's very cop show kind of vibe where yeah. uh, the the team kind of messed up, and now he has to go to his supervisor and kind of talk his way into it, second chance, you know. And she's saying, "Oh, we gave you we given you so many chances. How do you still believe in this Loki?" And he kind of just kind of makes a case for himself and begs the judge for his one last shot to prove that he can solve this case. And then he's yep. given that one last shot. And I there's a lot of I don't even know how to get into the scene because so much of this is just people spiraling. But uh, he mentions like, oh, you see this other agent on the side and he goes and puts his drink down and there's a couple of different lines of uh, from his drink. You know what I mean? When you're leaving, when you leave uh, lines from your drink on a, on a piece of glass and she says, oh, don't put your tape, don't put your glass there. There's multiple rings there already. And he says, oh, they're off from you. They're kind of hinting a little bit here that in my mind, that there's more than one Mobius. Yeah, maybe. That maybe there's multiple agents that are all Mobiuses. <laughs> yeah, that's but possible. I'm starting to get onto that theory. I don't know how big that is in the, on the internet yet, but that's my theory: is that we're either going to get the fact that when Mobius messes up enough, he gets erased himself and replaced by a second Mobius, and maybe this is now yet another Mobius, and we're going to have to realize towards the end that the Mobius we know is going to either have to rebel and, and survive for himself or kind of surrender and give in to this kind yeah. of fate that he believes in yeah. but i'm that I'm kind of goes into theory. yeah that kind of goes into a lot of like the philosophical conversations between loki and uh mobius is there might come a point where he has to go against where all of the other mobiuses in the past and they realize if like your theory is true all of the other mobiuses in the past and they realize they screw up or like yep i screwed up i guess i gotta be disintegrated in this one after all of his philosophical conversations with loki is like yeah no like i deserve to live and just because i screwed up doesn't mean i have to die and maybe he goes on the run and then that could be loki season two or something like that yeah, I like that because I really like Mobius and I want to, I want him to have a bit of an arc himself and I wouldn't want him to just be like this one season off kind of character now that I've kind of freely started to like him. <laughs> maybe they go like Harrison Wells, The Flash thing, where if we get a Loki season two, we get another Mobius still played by Owen Wilson, but this one just has a completely different personality. Yeah, that could be it too. And Mobius talked, I think it was last episode or maybe this episode about how you always have that role you play, but you want to break out of that role and Sure, Loki's been a villain the whole time, but he maybe he wants to play a different part of that role, and maybe Mobius is literally supposed to be that that role of the cop who questions the rules but always kind of gets by, and now he wants to break out of that role, and, and yeah. if he does, of course, he's going to get reset by the TVA, but I would like to see some, some fun from Mobius, and I was going to save that theory to the end, but as we get further into that conversation between him and Loki, I think it's something to keep in mind that Maybe they both have the roles they're trying to break out of a bit here. Yeah. There's also a notable shot where Mobius, because whoever the other agent is, is also bringing her back trophies from other timelines, like whether it's snow globes or whether it's uh, things in her office, little trinkets. And one of the things that he looks at is a pen that says Franklin uh, Delano Roosevelt High School. Yeah. And I think it's strange that they brought her attention to that pen my theory as watching it was that it was just like a joke that the tva is keeping an eye on high school age captain america steve rogers just to make sure nothing goes wrong <laughs> you know yeah. and maybe he has this little souvenir from what would have been the high school that captain america went to but of course the internet has run wild with that as well so i'll save that theory yeah. towards the end if you want okay. but yeah, yeah this, this i didn't even catch that so that one 
I didn't even catch that, so. Yeah, I'll save that for the end. I don't want to get too wild into the bushes here. But uh, essentially, Mobius is able to talk his way into a second a second shot here. And Loki, I imagine, is on his last leg. And Mobius comes out here and kind of has this conversation with Loki where he's saying, oh, I'm not annoyed. I'm, I'm not mad. I'm the disappointed kind of conversation. Yeah. <laughs> he's saying, like, you know, I, I expect a better of you. And uh, they kind of both have this admission here where they say I'm kind of trying to manipulate you in my own way and that this is when Mobius calls him a uh, shivering little boy uh, shivering in the cold and kind of condescends Loki and says that I still kind of see you as this lost child who doesn't have a, any fathers to look up to and yeah. I'm trying to help you or maybe I just want to use you for my own gain who knows yeah. Yeah, I definitely liked a lot of their philosophical conversations. I, I like that aspect a lot. I think, was this also part of their whole, when he was asking him about the jet ski? Well, yeah, because it isn't this exact scene, but they do kind of move into that scene next, yeah. So it's pretty much from here to that, yeah. So he's asking him sort of about if he, why he had that jet ski magazine, and Mobius has this line of saying, like, oh, there was this perfect unison of form and function in the 90s that created the jet ski, and He's always wanted to ride one, but of mm. course, because he's a TVA agent and he has to follow these strict guidelines and rules for his role, he can't. <laughs> so Which immediately told me, season finale, you're going to have Loki and Mobius side-by-side side riding jet skis going after, you know. Oh, I think so, for Lady sure. Loki. Like, there's no way that doesn't happen. Or, or it ends with Mobius and Loki on the run from the TVA riding off in jet skis. Either way, Mobius will be riding a jet ski come season end. But mm-hmm. one of the part of the conversation I really enjoyed too, and I was really like, is where they had, where Loki and Mobius were talking about their own creations, and Loki was kind of de- uh, dismissing Mobius's whole existence, like, oh, you were created by the Timekeepers to serve this function, you know, it's, you're basically not even like a person. You're, he's essentially implying like, oh, you're just like almost like an artificial being or something. And then Mobius turned it on him and essentially was like, oh, well, how were you created? And Loki essentially was like, yeah, I was created by the Frost Giants and raised by Odin. And Loki and <laughs> Mobius was like, yeah, your creation is just as like crazy sounding as mine is. And you're not any less real than me. So, Yeah, I think this is interesting, too, because it works for the character level. It works for the story level. And I also think it almost works on this meta narrative level of comic book characters and the ridiculousness to what we're watching and the fact that like I'm sure we're about to be off the diving board into crazy after the end of the episode here and I wonder if this is the writers priming us saying like you know if we think too hard about who we are where we came from it all sounds kind of ridiculous is a line for me that I think embodies comic book stuff especially the Marvel stuff where it's like if you think too hard about these characters their origins are kind of nonsense and it all kind of doesn't make sense but yeah, just like, kind of go along for the ride and yeah, it's real like, because you believe it's real tony stark flies around in an iron man suit that any person actually flying around in that amount of g-forces he pulls would turn into a puddle like the hulk mm-hmm. has his powers from gamma rays which if you were hit by an insane amount of gamma rays you might get like a sunburn at worst yeah, I think it's a fun meta narrative yeah. for the fans too, yeah. and I, I I like it a lot. Like you said, Tony Stark is not even practically real, and that was the first thing out of the gate for the MCU. And now we're at the point where there's gods interacting with these beings who exist beyond time and outside of reality, and they're creating multiple 
different realities value of the episode and yeah like like they said if you think too hard about it it starts making sense so stop thinking hard about it <laughs> yeah for sure and then we get a bit of what Mobius's sort of beliefs are about the timekeepers and what their goals are because he says they want to meet in peace at the end of time and the idea that the timekeepers are while the agents and everybody else are keeping order of the timeline the timekeepers are here setting up some kind of perfect future for them all to live at live it out in peace at you know and it, it very much feels like culty kind of really yeah. allegory vibes where it's like they're following these leaders who they swear know what they're doing and with no evidence of them knowing what they're doing yeah as soon as mobius said that i'm like well that's never gonna happen like <laughs> there's not gonna be an end of time where i mean i have my own theories about how real time works but we're not gonna get into that yeah clearly i think they're trying to give us as many hints as you possibly can that if tva is at the very least morally compromised and living in the gray area of morality uh and i think the fact that they had this culty relationship with the timekeepers is something that'll come up of course like who are the timekeepers is kind of the big overall question that i think they want Which to lace into my theory we kind of went and skipped around a bit there to get to that scene but i think it was worth it but we got the scene here where loki is as punishment for messing up the assignment uh he has to do a bunch of research and figure out where the loki variant might be hiding and he reads along tries to go to the librarian and says oh i need files for the origin of the timekeepers and she says oh classified he files for begin the time and she's all classified he says okay the beginning of time then and she says classified and all he can get is his own file <laughs> uh -huh. so he's reading through his own file and reads about the destruction of Asgard and is momentarily moved before realizing that maybe the variant can be hiding out at these disasters where they can do pretty much anything they want without picking up on the timekeeper's yeah. radar. I, I will say that's my one slight problem with the show, and it's like one of the things we've talked about before. If you think about it too hard, it doesn't make sense. Like I feel like that would be standard operating procedure for any variant on the run who has the ability to time travel. It's like I feel like that's general common sense of like oh I'm gonna go where I can't affect anything because everything ends up the same anyways so like like they like I understand it's part of the show and they have this whole theory they had to test out but to me it was just like that should be thought number one of like where and where's any variant hiding out I don't know the number one places where anything they do doesn't matter yeah it feels like something the TVA should have definitely been aware of yeah. <laughs> or at least testing at some point before before yeah. this like why is loki just showing up now and figuring out figuring this out yeah. why weren't they at least trying this like it wasn't anything i had thought of like before this like episode started because i wouldn't have ever needed to but if you gave me like an hour to just sit and ponder where like potential variants were hiding i'd be like well pompeii would be probably a good place <laughs> to start uh new orleans during like you know hours before hurricane katrina hit would be another star like the time yeah. of the dinosaurs right before the meteor hit other great start that would be a fun one <laughs> that could be a future episode just loki running amongst the dinosaurs i could talk my way out of this and be like oh well the tva that's the point you know the tva is all corporate they don't know what they're doing and they become lax and lazy but i think the reality is that 
you think about it too hard, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. And Loki found it because Loki's smart and Loki gets to find the answers, you know, and now Loki and Mobius get to be the only two people in the whole TVA who know the truth, you know, yep. and that's kind of the cap show vibe of this anyway. Alright, where was I at? Oh, we got, okay, we're heading right now. Loki has to sort of convince Mobius that his his disaster scene is correct, and this is when we get the salad scene. You know, Mobius is eating his depressing little salad, mm -hmm. and Loki uses it as a metaphor to show oh, him yeah. why you would hang out in the disaster zone. He's smoking, he's uh, dropping uh, <laughs> salt Just random pepper, foods, yeah. All, all kind of stuff it. out of the salad. Grabs, I can't remember the character's name, but he was in the last week's episode. He didn't know what a fish was. Oh yeah, Charlie and or he something has a, like that. Yeah. A little cameo in the background, which is, I thought was funny. And Loki grabs his his drink and pours it into Mobius' salad for for final effect, but gives him a disaster of a salad, showing him why you could hide out in a disaster zone and not be caught by the TVA. Mobius buys it, and the two secretly head out to Pompeii. What'd you think of the salad scene, Joe? It was, it was yeah, it was funny. Twitter. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was just like a funny scene that was just like, oh, let me ruin this guy's salad. That's like a fun thing to do. Yep. One of those scenes where I think any other actors would have made it bad, but Owen Wilson and, and Tom Hiddleston are charming enough and fun enough in these roles that I was having a good time with it. And yeah. like I said, funny that there's a random cameo from the other dude. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if he'll be back again. Yeah, I think he's going to be kind of a recurring thing throughout this season of just popping up for funny moments and scenes, I don't think. Unless they like build him up, build him up, and it's like a whole Darth Jar Jar thing where he's, where he's, <laughs> he's like the timekeeper. He's the timekeeper. Anyway, we go up from there to Pompeii, uh, at famous disaster, of course, and this is where we're, they're hiding out to test out their theory and see if they can do whatever they want in this disaster zone and not pick up any interference. Yeah, that was another uh, great funny scene where. Owen Wilson's like, yeah, just don't really do a whole lot, and we'll just kind of <laughs> monitor for various levels, and Loki runs around like a kid in a candy store. He releases the ghost. He's jumping up. He's basically telling all of the people in what I assume is Greek that, hey, or ancient Greek anyway, it's like, hey, uh, y'all are going to die, and that volcano's going to erupt and kill all of you, and there's nothing you can do about it. <laughs> I thought that was really funny. A hilarious scene. I, I wrote down Owen Wilson's line, can you like bird noises? Because he's just trying to like, we'll do a little bird chirp variations. And, and I thought uh, that was really funny. Oh, yeah, yeah, that was good. Like, yeah, the whole, like, yeah, can you do bird noises? And Tom Hiddleston just like runs out <laughs> there and goes crazy. One of the things I wonder with this show, because I mean, it's all Disney anyways, especially like Disney Plus, is like for scenes like that, do they use the volume that they use on like Mandalorian and then they're going to use on the other Star Wars shows? Because I know they had the one in Los Angeles and I know they. We're gonna build one in London for some of the shows in London, and they're gonna build a few more. So I wonder if like some of those scenes use the volume. They might have. That's a good point because that's a really cool. I love that volume thing. That's such a cool looking effect, and I didn't look as great at this Pompeii scene. Yeah. <laughs> Almost like a Doctor Who scene or something. But yeah, I mean, I thought it looked it looked not quite Mandalorian level, so I'm not sure uh -huh. if they use the volume or not. Yeah, I don't know. I just wondered overall for like this show and like any uh, for like Fal Falcon and Winter Soldier was more like real sets, I think, and it looked real city. So I don't think they did for that. But uh, I'm curious for like moving forward if they're going to use it. I don't know why they wouldn't. But yeah, I hope so. I think it would make only make sense for them to use it when they had that elaborate setup, yeah. right? And you'd you'd think that these shows would only get bigger as they get into like yeah. secret war type storylines. 
And then I love I love the line too of Loki's like we're are from the future, right? It's not quite clear. He's like kind of confused at what's mm. even happening himself. <laughs> you know, I understand Loki. I understand. And then it's after this scene where we get that scene we mentioned earlier where they talk about the jet skis and the creation, their whole origin stories and what that means to them. Yeah. And this reminds Mobius when Loki brings up uh, the sad little boy shivering in the cold. And it reminds Mobius of the little kid in the premiere episode that he gave the gum to. Oh, and yeah. he decides they're going to find the Loki variant by cross-referencing this very specific time frame in the future where this Kablooey gum was available. And cross-references that with any disasters on their list that are big enough to warrant hiding at. And we get some tragic news that, of course, the climate's going to be destroyed in the next, like, you know... 15 years or so yeah. <laughs> you know when they're reading these events like oh the yeah. climate disaster of 2030 and I'm like oh well okay uh, we've uh, got thanks, 15 guys. years left or something <laughs> nine <laughs> yeah I don't know it was somewhere around there but yeah of course uh, they find their one perfect match and it's uh, this stri- this hurricane in 2050 that's destroying this grocery store full of people yeah. Yeah, that was and, another moment where I'm like, okay, that that gum was definitely sold in more than one grocery store, and a hurricane that massive is definitely going to affect more than one grocery store. So how did they narrow it down to one? Would have been interesting. Yeah. To, I would have liked even if they were like, oh, there was like a small bit of like soil and on this gum, like the wrapper mm-hmm. of this gum, and we checked like just a line to like, oh, we narrowed it down to this one store. But just being like, oh yeah, there's a hurricane in Alabama. Let's go to this door. <laughs> uh, right store. Way to go, boys. Figured it out. Yeah, I imagine in a longer series or like a yeah. sitcom length show, we would have gotten like, oh, let's go to all these different places and see what we can find. Yeah. And like a, but yeah, I don't know. Six episodes. Let's get to the meat of it. You know? But like you said, right. it would have been good to have at least a line there to why is this one. Maybe they did, but I don't think they did. Yeah. If we had more people watching, someone would be screaming in the comments. They said in minute 27 second 17 the exact reason why they knew it was this store but yeah they'd be yelling at us and saying oh i'm actually guys it's here in this comic issue they mentioned it here yeah but uh i didn't catch it so that's yeah. not the important part the important part is that they're hunting down the variant here in this rock smart which i i think it's from com- the marvel comics that's got, like, yeah there's like a times throughout yeah there's like evil corporation called rocks something or another that as part of the Marvel Universe. Because I was seeing on online that it, it's gotten name-dropped a handful of times in previous Marvel stuff. It's just like this backdrop of, oh, big corporation thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then we get uh, the scene where the variant Loki is possessing different people and kind of passing it around to different bodies. And that's kind of happening simultaneously with Mobius and the TVA talking to these civilians trying to figure out where the variant is and i think i'll get that scene out of the way quick where uh the tva is not having much mercy on these people because they're just like whatever they're gonna die they don't matter and mobius is at least trying to have a little bit of empathy and saying these are human beings they're scared like give them some some peace even in their final moments and i think that shows mobius is a bit a bit more of a a carer than a TVA is, and he, I'm hoping that means he's going to turn to the light by the end. I want my good guy yeah. Mobius. Yeah, or he's the timekeeper, and it's all a front. That too. He could be the timekeeper. We'll get to my theory on the whole timekeeper situation <laughs> at the end of our review for this episode. 
and we get we now we finally get this building up scene where Loki is going to confront the variant Loki and uh, she's passing along her consciousness to various different people to build it up even longer of who is this Loki but they're having this conversation where Loki's saying like oh my plan was to overthrow the timekeepers I want you on my side I was trying to buy you time at the beginning of the episode when you were in that medieval run fair yeah. and that's why I was taking so long and then we get yeah. this reveal she pulls down her hood and it's seemingly Lady Loki, a blonde-haired woman with her half-Loki horn on, vibing like Loki. One other thing I wanted to bring up that was mentioned earlier during the whole confrontation, I think it was when he was the first guy that he pretended to be, when Lady was the first guy Lady Loki pretended to be, um, where uh, Loki confessed like he was undercover, and I wanted your thoughts on, do you think that was a lie of him being undercover? And when, and if not, like, at what point do you think this whole undercover thing started? Like, after the TVA captured him and he realized what the TVA was? Or do you think it was from the very beginning, like, when he first used the Time Stone? Did he already know what the TVA was? Because I believe in the comics his mom, Frigga, was part of it. So do you think he always knew what it was? And he was like, I know this is where the true power is and I'm going to use the Time Stone to like I'll wreck this whole plan to run the TVA and use my power for that or just kind of what were your thoughts there yeah I didn't but I didn't uh, think it was that long scale of a plan that would be interesting but yeah I thought he I kind of bought into what the show presented to us essentially in the beginning where he's presented to the TVA and he's not quite sure what this is and he's figuring it out and along the course of the first two episodes he's started to have a plan of his own but I don't think I don't think Loki's too far ahead of anybody else I think Loki is pretty much just lying at this point and saying, oh yeah, I, I've been ahead of it the whole time. I knew it was happening. And really, maybe he's a couple of steps ahead of Mobius, a couple of steps ahead of the TVA, but he's not. He doesn't have some master grand plan. He's just talking his way through it and trying to sound big. Because I, I think Loki's definitely in over his head at that point. Yeah. I think he walks to that portal at the end and has no idea where he's going and no idea what's next and yeah. had no real plan on taking out the time timekeepers either. No, I think he, his plan was more on just going to move up each level, essentially get to the timekeepers and figure it out from there. Uh, but one of the things I, I I expected almost like a bigger reveal when Lady Lucky pulled off her hood. Like, I kind of expected it to be a known actress and maybe someone who knows more would be like, oh, she was like, a, she was on Doctor Who for like a couple seasons or something, or some show I don't watch. But I, I know I like said Kira Knightley last week for like a potential actress for lady loki but I, I i don't know i just for whatever reason expected a bigger reveal to be lady loki or just yeah, like loki to, in general yeah after two episodes at least i thought okay they're at least going to give us some kind of reveal i was wondering if it would even be like an actress we know of from the mcu that would be kind of a like Kate blanchett or something as all of a sudden lady loki but that, that would have been confusing but that would have been yeah. like a fun multiverse kind of twist like oh i'm loki in this universe kind of thing yeah, yeah, that would have been now. Cool. Is a good time as any though. Is this Lady Loki, Joe, or is this a different character? I think it could be a mashup. Is kind of where I'm leaning. Of like, it might be one of those things where it has kind of the name of a different character, but it's still at the end of the day the powers, abilities, traits, and personality of Lady Loki is kind of where I'm. Yeah, because people are starting to theorize it might be Enchantress, which is a different character yeah. from the Marvel universe. With similar similar powers, but a different origin story and a different kind of vibe to her character. Because 
she doesn't quite look like Loki, and I think, like in the previous scene, they established that all the variants of Loki kind of at least look like Loki. They have the black hair, they have mm-hmm. kind of Tom Hiddleston-esque aesthetics. Yeah. And I think if they were casting her as Lady Loki, they would at least have given her like a black wig or something. And yeah, she would hair. have jet black hair and stuff like that. So I wonder if they're leading us on a on a goose chase here. Lady Loki is going to be a red herring, and she's actually uh, Enchantress. Or so even if that matters at all you know i don't think they're gonna pull that kind of a lore twist like oh you thought it was this obscure character it's actually this obscure character <laughs> you know but for the for the outside viewer they can just say oh cool it's lady loki i think maybe for the comic book audience they're trying to get us to question a little bit of like oh is this or isn't this lady loki yeah and i think it could also be a mashup where you know enchant maybe she's from a different universe and she's like an enchantress that was raised by odin and you know so for all intents and purposes she's kind of both mm-hmm. and i'm confident we're gonna get enough from this character to know her origin story like i think they're yeah by episode two we've already seen her and seen her face and everything so i have to imagine we'll get at least a flashback or something showing us her origin so whether she's in chances whether she's lady loki i'm excited to see what's yeah the, or- the history of the character the future of the character i'm really interested to see how she interacts with tom hiddleston i'm just looking forward to what the next step is for that yeah for sure and we get the reveal of her plan for the episode here was that she had captured all these time bomb things and at this Hmm. at one moment she sent them all through portals and blew up these various points along the sacred timeline and essentially made them open what seems like the multiverse and now the tva is losing its mind and then she made them all go kablooey, as the gum yeah. would say. Yeah, they went kablooey, you know? Uh, you should have known when you hear the title of the gum. But One of the things I, was... that I wanted ahead. to bring up, I don't know if you noticed this or you saw this, so if you know anything about Marvel Comics, they have they take their you know, take place across the multiverse and each multiverse you know, each universe within the multiverse is given like a different designation. You know, like the one where Deadpool kills the Marvel Universe has its own number designation. You know, all these other variants have these different designations. And the main Marvel Universe, the main kind of comic line that all of them branch off of or like are derivations of is has a designation 616. Well, this episode premiered on June 16th, which would make it 616. So. Oh, wow. Look at that. So that's why a lot of people are theorizing they move the episode releases to Monday or Wednesday so that that would line up. And I think this uh, show has done so well on Wednesdays that they are deciding to move all of their main shows to Wednesdays instead of Fridays. I like that a lot, especially because I think we're obviously, whether they're going to like pull it back on us or not, I think we are seeing the multiverse literally. Like That's exactly what yeah. opened up right there. Yeah, And I'm... I, Loki stepped into a portal. I imagine he stepped into some other multiverse, and next week yeah. we're going to get some crazy Loki multiverse episodes. Yeah. And another thing I'm, I've been seeing too, which I like, is these, in a way, can kind of make the Netflix shows canon. They can make uh, mm-hmm. the like freeform shows canon of like, okay, that's why the Netflix shows were able to reference the MCU that happened before, but the MCU never really referenced them is because they're kind of their own branch of the multiverse the what's the show freeform show lock and key or something like that or cloak and dagger i don't know I don't yeah know. cloak and dagger yeah i don't know something like that saw that one as its own branch of the multiverse agent carter agents of shield they're their own branches of the multiverse i think it's a great 
out for that. Like, I'm really excited to see what Marvel does next. I, you can tell Marvel and DC are both kind of at a race for the, who can yeah. pull up the multiverse first, you know? <laughs> and, and I that's... think Marvel is ahead of the game on this one, and it's going to be exciting to see what they do with it. And one of the things I've always been curious about is because the X-Men have, like, such, like the X-Men's backstory is so much a part of the X-Men. Like, you can't just be like, oh, Charles Xavier, like, got his mind-reading powers at 40, and same with magneto like oh he got his you know magnet controlling powers at like 60 like it, it doesn't work that way like for those characters to work they kind of have needed to have their powers for a while and so having the branches like go back and start earlier i think works and that's another way to help make it more sense for the x-men to be part of a different multiverse when it has been just one timeline for so long yeah this can... gives them so many ways to bring that in like you said you can say okay because this one thing happened differently in like nine in like 1802 or whatever one of those random dates yeah. in the list you can say that one small yeah. butterfly effect yeah there was one the mutants you could say like what's the apocalypse like his gene mutated like five thousand years ago and he making him the first mutant and then you know that kind of started the whole x-men thing mm-hmm and I'm not quite sure if they're gonna if they're diving all in on the multiverse. Like, is this is this officially the multiverse is in the MCU now, or is this okay? The multiverse is in Loki, but we gotta wait for Doctor Strange to really get ourselves. I think, I think they're kind of banking on because they've never. The thing is, they introduced the fact that there is one universe in Loki, right? Like that they've been keeping everything from branching out, right? In Loki. So they could imply in Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness, like they never have to say, oh, there's only been the one multiverse. Because technically from outside the TVA's perspective, there could have always been more than one. There could have always been the multiverse and now they're just interacting with each other. Like they don't necessarily have to know that there's there was a point where there was one timeline, if that makes sense. Because from Doctor Strange's perspective in 2023, there's been branches off of the universe since the dawn of time, if that makes any kind of sense. Because the bomb <laughs> got sent back. Because the bomb got sent back to like 10,000 years ago. That started yeah, the a branch. Outside of time, so anything yeah. that happens here is pretty much always happens, you know? Yeah, so Doctor Strange doesn't realize that, oh, that those branches were technically created like a week ago because to him they were created 10,000 years ago. I love it, Joe. I love this time travel wackiness. And, and one of the things, can I bring up another thing I've seen criticism yeah. for is so in Infinity War when like Doctor Strange is like looking through all of the potential futures, he's like, "Oh, I looked through like 14,000 potential futures and there's only one where we win." And people are like, "Oh, how is that possible if the timekeepers make sure that there's only one timeline?" And the thing of it is is they make sure that they're is only one that ever happens like there are always potential for possibilities of different timelines but the tva's job is to make sure there's one so dr strange can always see different possible futures it's the tva's job to make sure that the only true cor from their perspective the only true correct one happens yeah i think that people are really overthinking the tva and thinking maybe they have more power than they do and yeah I wouldn't be surprised if by the end of either by the end of this series or by the end of the season, however they do Loki, the TVA is done. And you know, if the TVA collapses, yeah. that means it never was a TVA almost essentially. You know, so yeah, yeah. with exactly. Doctor Strange seeing all those possibilities, he it could be legit. Like if there's no TVA, 
by the end of the show, then there was no TVA Infinity War, and that's yeah. all real, you know? Exactly. Can I... I don't are, know. Are we to theories yet, or is there much more? I was more about to say, if we want to get... Because we finished the episode, and if you want to just give some final quick thoughts, we could put, get into our predictions here, because I have a little bit to go on. Yeah, like I said, I'm really enjoying the show. I like it a lot, but I want to give my prediction and my theory for the timekeepers, or as I will say, the timekeeper, is I think it's... So one of the things I've been saying is the the TVA exists beyond time, but we also know things inside the quantum realm exist outside of time as well, according to the Ant-Man movies. Uh, so my thinking in Kang the Conqueror is like the ruler of this city that's part of the microverse or like this, it's the shrunken down city, like basically inside like the quantum realm, essentially. And so my thinking is the timekeepers aren't real. They don't exist. Kang the Conqueror is actually the head of the, like the one above the TVA, but he's created such like this myth and this legend. And if you look at the timekeepers in like the MCU, they kind of have a similar look to what Kang the Conqueror does in the comics. So I think he's created this myth, this legend of these like mythical beings that rule the time, like rule time. And I think it's more just Kang the Conqueror creating a timeline that's, you know, to his own image and what he wants. And I think when the TVA disappears, he's going to be like the new Thanos and essentially the Avengers and everybody's going to have to work against Kang the Conqueror, who is trying to eliminate the multiverse. I love it, Joe. I think that's a great direction. I, I mean, we, we've done this before where WandaVision comes up and I started saying, oh, maybe it's Mephisto, maybe it's this, but I don't, I never felt confident they were going to do that. I thought, oh, that could happen. Like, there's these teasers there that maybe it could happen. But for some reason, I feel more confident that I think Marvel's pushing this Loki show is an important thing. I think the fact that it's written by a guy who's also going to write or has written Doctor Strange 2 at this point. And, and then I think, I don't know if it's the writer of this show or the showrunner of this show is also writing Kevin Feige's Star Wars movie. Yeah, so clearly this is not just, like someone they picked that like a career writer type person this is someone who is at least involved within kevin feige's plans yeah. for what's going on and i think he, he has these little these little nuggets here and whether kane the conqueror literally shows up at the at the end and like reveals himself as a villain or whether it's like a post-credit scene he turns around and this kane the conqueror is like the last shot of the first season loki in the post-credit scene and that's a setup or i think i think you're probably right i think that's the direction i i think they're gonna go is kane the conqueror I definitely think the timekeepers don't exist, either are dead or never existed or something like that. And the TVA is essentially just this corporate, uh, this corporate monologue keeping itself alive, like without anything at its head. It's like this this dying serpent body. <laughs> yeah. And there are no timekeepers. It's all based on a lie that they've been told. You essentially get that culty lie of like, oh, the timekeepers are too busy to talk to you right now, and they're too busy to deal with your problems. But also, they're paying attention to every single move you make, and you better not make one mistake because they can see you and they're gonna know. And <laughs> yeah. I think they're setting up all these hints that the timekeepers are not real. And I think Kane the Conqueror, if you're gonna go with a villain that we know is coming, that's probably the best direction to go because we know he's coming, and because people are starting to think maybe he's gonna be one of the big build up kind of Thanos villains like you said yeah that's I mean that's definitely what I'm what I'm feeling is more K 
Kang the Conqueror. And we know, I'm pretty sure, Jonathan Majors, who was in The Five Bloods, he was in Lovecraft Countries, you know, trying to get into beef in Creed 3 if he hasn't been cast already, is going to be Kang the Conqueror in Ant-Man 3, so... Yeah, and since he's confirmed is what I'm thinking, because when you pull out Mephisto, it's like, okay, Mephisto is not even rumored to be on anything else. Why are you pulling out Mephisto? But this is someone that is going yeah. to be in a future role. Yeah, I so could see. I'm, I'm feeling confident. Yeah, I could definitely see Kang the Conqueror being like a post-credit scene. That's exactly what I'm thinking. I, I'm feeling post-credit on it. I'm feeling we build up the Timekeepers to get a reveal that oh. the Timekeepers aren't actually real, aren't quite what they what they seem at all. And it's all this kind of a charade, and then our post-credit scene is, in fact, Kane the Conqueror is behind it all, or maybe our Lady Loki is going to be interacting with Kane the Conqueror towards the end, like a Thanos-type situation yeah. in Guardians of the Galaxy. I don't know. And I also want to ask: so when Loki jumps through this portal, where is he going? I don't know. It could be one of a million places. It could be like. Dinos- land of the dinosaurs like i thought it could be it could be anything maybe he goes and talks to chris hemsworth or not chris Hem- chris evans in his own little weird universe that he created by going back to be with peggy carter which brings the question why wasn't he considered a time variant when he went to talk to peggy carter does this all did his all by the time he delivered the stones got back was he did he go back to be with peggy carter after the tva was already destroyed yeah i'm not sure i think I think he's definitely jumping into some kind of multiverse, if I was going to guess. Like, we might see maybe he'll be in some alternate Asgard or something like that, some yeah. some kind of different spin-off of this universe. I think the fact that they split, split the timeline like that in so many ways and now he jump into a portal, I think that tells me we're getting our yeah. first appearance of the multiverse in the MCU next week. What if he just walks into the portal and bumps right into email Tobey Maguire Spider-Man? <laughs> that would be amazing. You get Andrew Garfield, Tobey Maguire in here, not in Spider-Man 3. Yeah. They're like, sorry, you couldn't get a scheduling conflict with Loki. <laughs> I was just trying to think if Tom Hiddleston had... Like, it sucks that like, Tom Hiddleston hadn't been in like any like Marvel superhero stuff before this. Like, if he had been in, like, Fantastic Four, you know? I that, doubt it. Well, no, because I was just thinking... Because I don't think he has, but if he had, you could have him, like, go to that universe and then people think he's somebody else. That would be fun. Like if he was Doctor Doom in like the 2005 Fantastic Four or Fant Four Stick or whatever, and people saw him, he jumped to that universe, and people were like, "Oh my God, are you, are you uh, like Doctor Doom or whatever?" It'd be kind of funny, yep. but I think it's going to be exciting because it opens up an infinite world of possibilities. I'm curious what Marvel will do with that amount of open endedness and. Yeah, the writer here that, like I said, he's worked on Rick and Morty, which I think is kind of a creative show when it wants to be, and I think that shows potential for him to get really wacky and weird with it. Like, if he wants to give us that universe where there's a troll Loki, maybe we'll see that. <laughs> maybe we'll yeah. see, like, a Thor-Frog universe. In other words, like, a Frog-Thor character in the comics that was, like, a... Oh, yeah, yeah, a, yeah. We can see weird stuff like that, and they go Spider-Verse with it. I'm, I'm really looking forward to what they do with it, and not just in Loki, of course, but in the rest of the Marvel Universe, I imagine. You get an end to it in Loki, and then maybe Doctor Strange kind of opens it up again into the Marvel Universe, but I, I'm not sure. It's exciting, though. It's more so than WandaVision or even Falcon and the Winter Soldier, I feel like this is our step forward into like what's next for the MCU. It feels like a, a beginning of the yeah. new phase of Marvel Universe. Yeah, for sure. 
I mentioned uh, earlier that there's a bit of a theory going around about uh, that pen, and uh, my initial reading of it was, oh, that's a funny joke about uh, Captain America in high school. But as we know from previous shows like Marvel, uh, I mean, like, like WandaVision, people are willing to run with anything and find some kind of crazy, obscure comic book character that, oh, actually, it's this. And people are saying that this pen is a reference to Molecule Man. What? And that, in fact, Molecule Man is going to make his MCU appearance <laughs> based on Who the fact the that... the fuck is Molecule Man? Look, Molecule Man is an alternate universe character. He was some kind of alternate, like, rich member of, like, the Reed Richards family. And we know that the, uh, the, the judge in this universe, I can't remember her name, Reinhardt or something like that, who yeah. you said was a, a love interest of Kane the Conqueror in the comics. There's also alternate canon timelines where she was a Reed Richards love interest. So there's kind of like a connection between them. And Molecule Man, I guess, had a very... He grew up in Brooklyn and he had a defining experience in high school. And people are saying, oh, look, they're referencing to the fact that TVA went back and made sure Molecule Man became Molecule Man. Yeah. Her I, name is look. Her name is Ravana Renslayer. Renslayer. I knew there was an R in there somewhere. <laughs> so, here's my theory, based on nothing. Uh, one of the set designers, production designers for the show, went to Franklin Roosevelt High School, and uh, that just happens to also be a high school in comics. And there you go. Yeah, I think. Molecule Man is a bit of a reach. I'm not going to lie. I mean, who knows? You're going into a multiverse thing that could have a random cameo of Mo Molecule Man. Or it could be like the writer of the show likes Molecule Man, so he put this random reference in that no, not important to the plot, but just a cool thing that people might get if yeah. you know the comics. But I'm running with my theory still. I think it's a reference to the fact that the TVA keeps track of Captain America and went and kept track and made sure his high school experience was with it. You know, protected him somewhere along his timeline to make sure he became Captain America. Yeah, maybe Hydra found out time travel and tried to go back to kill Captain America while he was still a weak little kid, and the TVA had to step in and stop that. But yeah. And then I want to mention too. I had this prediction that there might be multiple Mobiuses in some form or another. Uh, I I'm not quite sure how that's going to play out, but I'm running with that theory for a little bit. Whether or not it's Mobius, if he may, may, makes too many mistakes, he gets erased and replaced by another Mobius. And now we're seeing our many of many or one of many Mobiuses along the line of Mobiuses. What is show? What if each Mobius is a different, like, early 2000s comedic actor? Like, what if this Mobius dies and the next Mobius is, like, Ben Stiller? And then the one after that, that is Vince Vaughn. And then maybe Will Ferrell is the fourth Mobius. You never know. We could go to a multiverse where there's an alternate version of Mobius who's played by Ben Stiller. That would be a fun cameo. Yeah, we got some Luke Will Wilson action in there. <laughs> yeah. You know, we, we had in Thor Ragnarok, we had the other... Hemsworth brother oh, show yeah. up and playing Thor for Luke a scene, wasn't it? Yeah, Luke Hemsworth. Yeah. yeah, we had Luke Hemsworth, the brother everyone forgets about. Now it's time for Luke Wilson, the other brother that everyone forgets about. <laughs> I'm For once, I feel like I really don't know what comes next on the show. You know, I think with WandaVision, it was sort of easy by this point to know what was going to be next. Like, it's going to be a weird second episode that slowly pulls a layer off of the layer of what was going on. <laughs> but this, I feel... I'll, 
excited because I don't know what's coming next. Yeah. You know, Falcon and the Winter Soldier was just, it had plot twists yeah. and stuff, but it wasn't like giving me mystery, keeping me strung along, thinking about it. And this has a lot going on, yeah. and I can't, that portal can go anywhere. We could get anything next week. We could not even see the TVA again. We could just yeah. follow Loki through a multiverse of madness. Yeah, you know, sh- I have no clue what's next. The show's not called the uh, TVA, the show's called Loki. So Loki could be like, ah, fuck the TVA, I'm done with them. And then we never see him again, and that's it. Bye bye, Morbius. Morbius gone. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited. We've we've talked for a while about it, but yeah, I'm really looking yeah. forward to what's next. We've had some theories going around, but it's exciting to just because yeah. I don't read into the theories too much. I'll just get like a vibe of what people are theorizing, you know, and be like, okay, I'll go with that and see what see what's going on. But yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Similarly to Wandavision, whether or not it pays off or not, cool journey. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, you ready to move on to uh, the Bad Batch? We've talked about Loki for an hour. Yeah, Bad Batch will not be an hour, I promise. Yeah, but I think Bad Batch will be somewhat shorter for you. Uh, overall thoughts, I'll start. Uh, I thought the show was fine. I, th- I think it's probably my second favorite episode of the season so far. I think the premiere is still my favorite, but it's hard to compare 70 minutes to 25 minutes. Uh, I think my main problem with the show overall is it seems every week they run to a character we've seen before, and... Uh, for the most part of me feels like they don't trust like the Bad Batch themselves and Omega to be like powerful enough leads or you know have people care about them enough to come back every week but I think they are so I don't think they necessarily need to rely on bringing old characters back all the time I think they you know don't necessarily need that and that's kind of my overall thoughts on Bad Batch this week yeah I'm of a similar vibe as you I had a good time with it I think I had some really good action I thought I had a fun tribute to uh, Republic Commandos. We had a nice, cool, like first-person yeah. visor sequence that yeah. I thought was fun, and it was fun to see Crosshair back. It was fun to see a big kind of climactic battle and the Kevin Owens back. It, this felt like a big episode. It felt like a mid-season finale, which it technically is a mid-season yeah. finale, but we're not taking any time off. But it felt climactic. But I am in a similar boat to you. I the final moment of the episode is uh, appearance from another character, and I think that's fun. But we've gotten it every episode this season, and I think if you removed a couple of the ones in the middle of the season, like we didn't need to have uh, the one last week. We didn't, we didn't need to have Rex last week necessarily. We didn't. Need I to think have... if I had to cut any of them, it's Trace and Rafa, not because of my thoughts on them, because I'm not nearly. Because like, there's people that outright dislike them, and I don't dislike them, but I feel like I don't see them coming back. I think they were more a gateway to Rex. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think we could have just it could have been implied that Rex is working for these two new people that didn't necessarily need to be Trace and Rafa they could have been anybody and then turns out oh they were working for Rex okay that's cool yeah this would have paced it a little bit different maybe like maybe you get Trace and Rafa then we get a couple weeks off now we get uh, Cad Bane and then maybe next season we get uh, the parents of Rex but yeah. yeah a lot of cameo characters and that I think for animated Star Wars, get it a bit more of a sl- of slack because I feel like they kind of yeah, it's part of the territory. I bet you're watching a show primarily aimed at kids, and they're gonna have those connective characters to keep the kids watching. Yeah. But I wish they had the confidence in their characters because I really like the Bad Batch and all all the personalities are very defined. And yeah. I don't I don't need all these characters showing up, connecting things, and being carrying the weight on their shoulders rather than giving the Bad Batch some weight to carry themselves. Yeah, one of the things that there were some moments I liked and some moments that I thought were interesting. One of the things was uh, when Rucker was teaching Omega how to disarm that bomb, 
and it exploded and then it turns out it was just a smoke bomb which really didn't you know didn't put anyone in any danger and Rick is like ah it's okay I failed my first uh, bomb disarmament too I kind of wonder if that's what made his face all fucked up it's his first attempt <laughs> at disarming a bomb yeah maybe I think it's, I really like in the relationship between Wrecker and Omega. I think that's mm-hmm. the one they focused on the most, which is kind of surprising because Hunter and Omega were the focus of the premiere, sort of. And I think Wrecker has become a really interesting, fun character. That I, I'm not usually the fan of those kind of like, oh, here's the big, bombastic, jokey kind of guy, but he's really fun on the show. And especially with Omega, I think they have a good yeah. foil to each other. Yeah, for sure. And I also wondered during that smoke uh, bomb scene if maybe Omega is not force sensitive. If she, I think part of the force is you don't like those kind of mistakes. You know, maybe if if she was force sensitive, they would have given her that scene where she holds it for a second and then closes her eyes and then cuts the right cord. You know, yeah, that would have yeah. been the language of the force. Scenes. Yeah, I'm definitely leaning more towards that she is that they found a way to find all of their flaw like all of their accidental flaws and she is all of the bad batch combined because i think they call her a contingency plan in the episode the community Owens call her their contingency plan so i wonder if she's some kind of like storage vessel for the yeah. cloning dna or something like yeah. that because that was my, my initial theory was that she was some kind of carrier of Palpatine's DNA (laughs) like whether she was a clone or not but them calling her the contingency plan and making her her specifically a vital part of their survival I think is interesting and I think that shows that she's more than just a clone she's even more than just a modified clone because she's the most important one and I'm just really curious what that could be that makes her different than the Bad Batch and what makes her different than anything else yeah, and I don't think we're going to be doing much of scene by scene for this episode as we did for uh, Loki because I think we're more just jumping around. But one of the things with... I think we're going to explore a lot more about her backstory potentially in the next episode or the episodes following depending on how long she's actually kidnapped for. Like, is she going to be kidnapped for the rest of the season and then they rescue her in the season finale? Or how's, or is she just going to be rescued next episode and that's it? But I think... Uh, I'm leaning more towards probably she's going to be away from the Bad Batch for like three or four episodes. Um, yeah, I don't think it'll be long. And I think uh, and I think we'll learn more about her story and backstory in that time. Like we learned, I think, last week that she doesn't, she supposedly doesn't have an inhibitor chip. Whether that's actually true or not, uh, we'll probably find out. I'm leaning towards she might have been told that, but it's not necessarily accurate. Um yeah, I think that is probably the direction to go. I don't think we're going to wait too long for the answers because I think we've noticed like when the show has us asking questions, they answer them pretty quickly. Like, who is the guy in the who is the guy in the call with? Is it is it is it a, a Bail Organa? Is it who is it? And then of course next episode we know who it is. So yeah. I think you're on the money that we're not going to wait too long. But do you have more to say on that? Uh, not really. I think uh, I have a theory that we're going to get Boba Fett sooner rather than later. Uh, because if you know a lot about the behind the scenes, especially of uh, the original kind of end of the Clone Wars show, uh, there was an unfinished arc where Cad Bane and Boba Fett faced off one last time, and a lot of the extermination of the cl- all of the clones has appeared recently, especially in this last episode where the Empire is trying to take out all of the clones. And I think, you know, Boba Fett being one of them, I could see a situation where he is 
being targeted by the Empire and he kind of has to go on the run and defend himself a little bit. And we've seen in the comics recently, uh, Boba Fett, you know, he doesn't do jobs that deal with kids. Like, he doesn't, you know, kidnap kids. He doesn't target kids. Any jobs that deal with kids, he doesn't take. And also, the main plot of the cancelled arc where Boba Fett and Cad Bane went against each other that, you know, big longtime fans have been dying to see, uh, dealt with the uh, situation of a kidnapped kid. So I think there's a potential where maybe, you know, I have said maybe they've been situations where they've run into known characters for too many episodes, but I would not be surprised if the Bad Batch run into Boba Fett next episode and they tell him what happened of like, hey, we're clones. I know you don't like clones, the regular, you know, you don't like these reg clones. We don't like them either. Also, Cad Bane, your mortal enemy, uh, kidnapped basically not just our little sister but mm -hmm. our little sister because you're a clone too so i think boba fett's going to team up with a bad batch to rescue omega and that's my prediction that's a cool prediction <laughs> down the rabbit hole of characters showing up i guess but that's fine and i think that almost is the cost of these shorter seasons like when the clone wars seasons were so long you had enough room to throw in those episodes yeah. where it's just the team going on the run doing stuff mm -hmm. and if this season was a bit longer, I'm sure we would have gotten a handful of more episodes of, of just the Bad Batch doing Bad Batch stuff, you know, and yeah. when you have essentially just the highlight episodes and a handful of episodes in the middle to build those up, you got to have a lot of these connective, connective characters, I guess, at least the first season. Well, are, will you feel less this way, I guess, if kind of they bring in Boba Fett and that's kind of it for old characters coming back? It's more just recycling the ones they've seen. It's like, okay... Uh, they like run into Fennec Shand again, and Fennec Shand helps them. They run into Rex again, and Rex helps them. Like, yeah, giving the show a bit more of a leeway because the first season, and essentially, like any character that shows up from the previous shows is a returning character. But even they could just be like the first appearance, you know. Essentially, like it. I don't know. These animated shows almost feel like one continuous show. So when they bring yeah. show bring characters back from like Clone Wars, I think, all right, that's cool. And. Yeah. Like you said, if these if they're more so building up a cast list rather than just having cameos, I think that's yeah. fine. Like, Cad Bane could become like a semi reoccurring character depending on how long this Boba Fett thing builds up. But Boba Fett could show up and become like a semi reoccurring character, and yeah, we've had, now we've built up that cast, and that's all we got. Yeah. And the Bad Batch could almost I, I I'm gonna lead toward it's not. I think we're gonna mostly run with these characters, but we've essentially seen, um, what's his face, um. Echo become a part of the Bad Batch when he wasn't initially. Like, he was not part of these, like, messed up clones that came together to form the Bad Batch. And do you mm -hmm. think there could be... The Bad Batch could almost be, like, the title of this group, and this group kind of changes out members and even include non-clones. Like, do you think we could be sitting at season, like, four, and the Bad Batch is, like... Well, you okay over there? <laughs> Yeah, something, something fell off, you know. Yeah, but do you think there could be a point where we're at season four and the Bad Batch is like Boba Fett, Hunter, some random character we've never seen before that, you know, we haven't been introduced to yet, mm -hmm. and like Omega, and that's the Bad Batch? I like that. Even if they're not part of, like, the actual core team of the Bad Batch, I get to them being part of, like, the group, you know, they're, they're one of their reoccurring friends that's on the ship with them a lot, and... The Bad Batch isn't just bad clones. It's like these outcast society. You come yeah. together and have this one group that yeah. can be a part of. Yeah. And I think that could be cool. 
Yeah, Whether okay. or not Boba Fett becomes part of their group or not, I don't know, because I don't know what his arc of character is necessarily going to be at this point in the show, because he's still a bad guy by the time we get to Empire Strikes Back. He doesn't really have yeah. his heroic turn until after the original trilogy does. Yeah. My so thing I'm is, it's like, sure does that. he have his heroic... Because, I mean, to me, especially if we see him here, where he's like, yeah, I don't, I don't do jobs with kids, I don't respect bounty hunters that deal, do jobs with kids, like, to me, that doesn't change anything from his you know, character in Empire Strikes Back, he's just doing a job. Like, I could potentially even see, like, the Bad Batch, as we see them now, do the job of go-getting uh, Han Solo for Jabba the Hutt. And that, to me, that really is doesn't, true. doesn't change anything. All, basically, because he doesn't even freeze, I mean, you could maybe include, like, the, because at the end of the day, he's just uh, capturing, you know, a guy that owes somebody money. Like, it's not really, like, I don't see Boba Fett as, like, an evil character. He's just a guy doing a job. Is his job the nicest thing you can do? Not really, but... It's not exactly like Han Solo was, you know, Captain America either, so... That's true, because I think they can give the Bad Batch some moral greatness. They already have. They're working with someone like Sid, someone like Jabba, so they're giving them that bit. But even in this episode here, like, they do have a moral line where... They're, they're thinking about how they're broke and they're thinking about how they have to sort of pay back sit all this debt and they're debating on selling what they have and I think there's still a moral center to the Bad Batch and it would be fun to see them interact with Boba Fett though, but I just, don't, I just don't see Boba Fett become like a reoccurring member of the Bad Batch yeah. team I think he'd be kind of like a Wolverine type person where he's like oh I'm not just, I work alone I don't necessarily work with the team or yeah. Batman more so I guess like yeah. Batman being like this outsider who doesn't really work with the Justice League, just kind of there to be part of the member of the when they need him, but you know he's not part of the team, and that could be something that yeah. I could see them doing. Yeah, I could see that of just like he pops in and out, but we also need our Hondo appearance. It's not a dis- it's not a Star Wars animated show without Hondo. Granted, I don't. That's think, true. I don't think Hondo was in Resistance, but whatever. Maybe he Resistance was. This doesn't count. That means Resistance is not canon. Essentially, yeah. I don't have to watch it anymore. You, you as someone who's seen it, you don't. It's, <laughs> it's, if you're seven, you know, it's great. But it's, like, where Clone Wars and even Rebels was like, hey, we target towards, like, 12 and 13-year-olds, but if you're 30, you can still enjoy it. Where Resistance is like, hey, if you're seven, you're really going to enjoy this. If you're not seven, eh, well, good luck, I guess. I thought the action this episode was really good. Yeah. Uh, We've been waiting and waiting for the Crosshair return, and I feel like it definitely paid off. I think he's a threatening yeah. bad guy, and of course, this episode kind of confirms he's going to turn good eventually at some point. They've reminded us again and again that he has an inhibitor ship, but it's not his fault what he's doing. Yeah. But while he's doing it, he looks pretty cool. You know, leading these Death Troopers, he's kind of had this vendetta against the Bad Batch, I feel like, and in his mind, he has to prove to them that he really is who he says he is, and he's not the good guy. They, he's not like still a member of the team, and I think he has this this vengeance inside him where he wants to prove himself by taking down the bad batch and showing like oh look I really have changed I really am crosshair yeah. the bad guy and one of the things one of the things I thought was interesting is there was a moment where he had them cornered or he had them like you know in their sights and uh, Omega was the one that was like you know it's not it's not you crosshair it's like the inhibitor chip I told you about the inhibitor chip blah 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 and mm-hmm. then crosshair turns and he tells his guys like aim for the kid I almost wonder if like his own sick twisted way that was like his moment of compassion towards his friends of like 
he didn't want to see his friends die. Granted, like, I'm not saying, oh, killing Omega is, like, this great, nice, right choice, but he doesn't have this connection to Omega. So I wonder if that was partially, like, the real crosshair coming out of trying to defend his friends, even if that meant, you know, Omega doesn't do so hot. Mm-hmm. I think that's a good theory. I I definitely think crosshair turns good. We've mentioned it before, yeah. but... For sure, so, you mentioned they've said it to his face at this point, so I think he definitely has to turn good by the end of this show. Yeah, well, uh, how do you feel about the injuries he took, though? Because that was one of the moments, like, normally, because he kind of got, you know, messed up. He got burned by the that engine. And, like, he had, like, the mask and stuff on, and it was almost, like, slowly turning into Vader. And so I'm kind of curious, is, it, is he maybe going to turn good but it's going to be kind of his last thing similar to Vader where Vader turned good and then that was kind of the end for Anakin Skywalker is there a time where Crosshair turns good and you know whatever he act he does as the real Crosshair again is the last thing he ever does maybe sacrifice yeah I think himself. that's possible I think that could be more interesting than just he becomes good and joins the team again I don't think he's just going to become good and join the team again I think giving him like a sacrificial yeah. moment where he has to has a moment to decide yeah. and he decides to turn against the empire in his last dying moments or something yeah. like that could be the proper direction they go to i think it would be yeah. fascinating and complex and, and heartbreaking if he did become fully bad and like and burning his face and he becomes like this iconic bad guy for the series but i i don't think that's the direction they go he's clearly set up for at least semi-redemption yes uh because we've been talking for a while if they bring Wrecker back then someone has to die or go away because that's been you know it's just too many people on the mm -hmm. team and I think if you know if Crosshair comes you know returns to being good again the person that dies could easily also just be Crosshair yeah which is something we haven't really thought about until I saw the mask on and him burned and I'm like oh he's looking a little Vader-esque right there so <laughs> yeah because I don't think Crosshair is going to be the bad guy for the throughout the entire series I feel like he's maybe a season one bad guy and then we'll get to somebody a bit bigger than him next season or bigger than next season yeah and I also uh, I mentioned earlier this cool scene where we get the visor shot and I think it was definitely reference to Republic Commandos or at least yeah, to video sure. games in general where it's like sure. a first person kind of clone yeah. battle shot it was very cool yeah I know like People are kind of over the whole Battlefront games, but I think a Bad Batch game would be kind of cool too. Yeah, I think like if you go, if you just go through the Clone Wars and you can be any of the main four or any of the main five, you could set it in that time period where both Echo and Crosshair were part of the Bad Batch, and so you could be I would any, like of that the, a lot. any of the five going like before each mission. You could pick which one you want to play as, or you could play through the play through the whole game as one of the five and i think it'd be kind of cool you could play multiplayer you could have you know like me you and i could be playing i could be hunter you could be rucker like yeah let's make it happen we gotta call up ea right yeah. i think ea well yeah has i a, think star wars is giving it out to other people now because there's a few other companies are working on it but yeah i would like, love to yeah. see they're like ea um, you've been cranking out like one game every two years so that's pretty <laughs> fucking weak give us something good and I'm not even and Battlefront and Battlefront 2 are hardly two different games because they couldn't finish Battlefront in time so they just released what they had and then when they finally re finished it they released it as Battlefront 2 uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to the future of the Star Wars games yeah. it was between Fall and Order was really good you know step back in the yeah. right direction we had some falling order connective tissue this week we are once again on the same planet yeah and 
I, I thought for a second, since we were back there, maybe there'll be a Cal Kestis appearance. Yeah, so or one something. of the, uh, someone behind the scenes, I can't remember if it was Kevin Kiner who does the music or one of the writers or somebody, uh, posted on Twitter that there was going to be like a cameo in uh, this episode of the in, of the Bad Batch, and I for sure thought it was going to be Cal Kestis or one of the characters in kind of the opening of uh, that of Fallen Order on Brocco, like that his friend that dies that kind of kicks off the story. Yeah. Um, but but nope, last Cad Bane. Cad Bane. What did you think of the Cad Bane appearance towards the end? I mean, I love Cad Bane. He's not like my top ten favorite Star Wars character, but it's always fun when he shows up. And I definitely, as soon as I saw Cad Bane, I'm like, <laughs> oh, they're gonna put that Cad Bane versus Boba Fett arc into the Bad Batch instead of the Clone Wars. Yeah, I think for sure. Fans have been asking for that for so long there's no way they don't do that i thought yeah, i thought even... for a second they were going to retroactively do that but have it be hunter instead of boba fett and i'm like ooh, that's going to piss a lot of people off and even in uh the last season of clone wars you saw like they're willing to go back and like complete these legacy arcs people like and bring back characters people like and like rebels came out and they had this whole ahsoka latest campaign where like ahsoka finally got to come back and yeah. like compete in arc as a character and yeah, well, I can't wait to see it, especially in this Bad Batch, this really, really great animation style. It, it all looks great. The action looks so good. So, sure, we had to wait years and years for it, but in the end, it'll look better than it would have yeah. <laughs> in the Clone Wars. So, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing it. Yep. I also wanted to, because they'll bring in Boba Fett, I'm sure, to get us a little bit hype for Book of Boba, uh, Fett. Book of Boba Fett coming out at, yeah. at the end of the year. Yeah, I could just see Boba Fett being in the season finale of Bad Batch, and then they just have at the end, Boba Fett will return in Book of Boba Fett. Yeah, I didn't have much else done for it. I just kind of wrote down mm -hmm. some notes of things that I liked, things that I thought about it. We've still got some mystery around uh, Kamino and what they're sort of, what that continuity plan is with, with Omega and what their further games are yeah. in here. Uh, I'm not a big fan of this of this show's version of Agent Callus, like they're the kind of Imperial Commander oh, guy. Oh, Rampart, yeah. I just don't think we've gotten enough of him. Really. We, he's just been in like two episodes, so I don't really, like, they could easily have an episode where we see more of him and our opinions completely change, which is right now he hasn't really done anything because he's barely been there. Yeah, for me, he just comes off as like the really, really generic Imperial bad guy, which is disappointing because I think the bad guys in, in these animated shows have been some of the standout characters, whether it's Maul or whether it's yeah. Cad Bane. So, or, or Agent Callus, even like that kind of a character in Rebels, I thought was probably the best character in Rebels, honestly. Yeah. He had a really great arc. So, I'm curious if they're going to do more with this guy or if he's really just going to be like that background Imperial villain for the role they need him for. Yeah. And like you said, uh, they're moving the release date over a bit, so I do wonder if this wasn't doing too well on Fridays or something like that. Or if Loki would just uh, such a hit on Wednesdays, they're like, oh, Wednesday's got to be the day. Yeah. I liked, I preferred it more on Fridays. It was kind of like the kickoff to the weekend. Like, when Book of Boba Fett starts on Wednesdays, like, it's going to suck having to get up early on fucking Wednesdays, but whatever. I do wish, though, that they would just premiere... Instead of premiering these shows uh, at midnight or 3 a.m., depending on your time zone, I'd much rather they just release <clears throat> release them, like, East Coast at 8 o'clock p.m. and West Coast at 5 o'clock p.m. Yeah, I, be I, nice I, I don't understand the whole... I don't understand the whole point of, like, hey, we're going to release this at midnight. Yeah, I think it's part of the streaming culture where it's, like, you're not watching this, like, event TV thing. You're just watching, like, content that drops at midnight, <laughs> you okay. know? 
I think it would feel more like a unified cultural kind of experience if it dropped at like a semi-normal time where people could all kind of watch it together. Like yeah. Game of Thrones is kind of like that when it was on, like especially the final season or so. Like the whole world just kind of stopped for an hour and everybody watched it. And well, that's sure. something I miss about TV. I'd be, I'd even be okay if it was midnight East Coast time, like. But like 3 a.m. East Coast time, I'm like, fuck that. I'm not staying up for that when I gotta be up at 6:45 because I would just usually probably go take fall asleep at 10 set my alarm for midnight take a little nap wake up at midnight watch the episode and then fall back asleep yeah i'm stuck in that middle at like it doesn't drop until i think 3 a.m here <laughs> no or 2 a.m i think 2 a.m yeah if you're in chicago 2 a.m yeah it's two o'clock most some some nights i'm up and i just watch it but otherwise i'll i'll just wait depends on the show you know, yeah. you know? some of these shows i'm i'm so into it that I know I won't sleep if I don't watch it so I just stay up (laughs) Yeah. and for me I'm like there's no way in hell I'm staying up until 3 so I just get up early for work I'm not missing anything and now that we're halfway through the season of Bad Batch do you got any overall thoughts now that we're uh, mid season Uh, not really except I'm cooling on the idea of the whole Camino revolution being the season finale I think that's more going to be a series finale thing because we have got like nothing on that since then but granted that could all change because they could do two or three episodes that focus on that and really build it up but i think more that's like a series finale type situation yeah i'm thinking it, you know season two maybe season three like somewhere in the middle of the show we'll probably get that yeah not season one though because we've gotten like it feels like the pacing is okay one episode we check in with the commit owens in the main plot then me a couple a couple of fun filler episodes that have our dribbles of plot in there but aren't like necessary episodes yeah. and then we get our episode here that definitely connects to the commit on plot and the commit on plot feels like a long-term kind of plot like you said so they could run through it like two or three episodes could cover a lot of plot in this yeah. kind of a show but i don't think it's yeah. gonna happen especially if like uh you know the next two or three episodes the bad batch meets boba fett and we learn more about the clones in that aspect while uh, Omega is back on Camino, and we learn about the whole cloning aspect and everything going on Camino from her perspective. And then before we, you know it, it's like, oh yeah, they're definitely doing Camino Rise Against the Empire for the season one finale. But we'll see. Yeah, Omega could be our eyes in the in the door, like you mentioned. I didn't think of it like that, but yeah, her her kidnapping uh, could be what we need to fill us in on what their master plan is, Camino. Right, Another show other... where I got no real predictions. I feel like it's yeah. it's done a good job. Where like as soon as we think we know where it's going, like the next episode they do it. Like we were all like, oh, we know what they're doing. It's gonna be Captain Rex. That's the secret. And then next episode they're like, oh, we are ahead of you actually. We, we mm. this is Rex. Yeah. You knew and we knew. <laughs> yeah. Any final thoughts on Bad Batch? Or should we move on to the movie uh, of the week? Yeah, no final thoughts on Bad Batch. I guess it's time to move on to our next segment, which is discussing Pixar's Luca. Pixar's Luca. Uh, Pixar, I think, I think it's their second movie to drop on Disney Plus after Soul, which I really, really like Soul a lot. So I was super looking forward to this one. Yeah, uh, I really enjoyed Soul. Uh, so yeah, I was interested in watching Luca and then so I was like, oh, I'm going to surprise Tristan by watching Luca and being able to review Luca uh, for our Disney Plus review. And then you messaged me saying, oh, yeah, I'm going to watch Luca for our review. And I'm like, <laughs> well, I might as well tell him that's my plan, too. 
I was looking forward to it. You know, I got some Italian in me. I've been to Italy. I've, I've seen the coast that looks a lot like what we see in Luca, And I was like, oh, cool. It would be nice to see a different kind of culture. We got Coco. That gave us like a, a view of the Mexican Spanish culture. Yeah. And now we're going to get an Italian uh, cuisine version of Pixar. Uh, but what are your thoughts on this one, Joe? Uh, all right. So here are my general thoughts on it. Um I think should we give like a bit of a plot before we go into our thoughts? Like uh, a, yeah. the lightest of plots. Yeah, simple plot. Uh this it's a uh, little mermaid but it's a boy instead of a girl and instead of falling in love with the prince he just makes a friend with a person that's also uh uh sea monster. Could have been a gay movie. It would have been so much better. It, it could have been and yeah, they meet this girl whose like goal in life is to be a uh, uh uh to win this kind of race that's a triathlon that starts with swimming and then it goes to uh pasta eating and then you got a bike race because <laughs> I, I think they thought that biking swimming and running was just too much athletic and they wanted to throw something else in there and they're like well we're in italy so we'll just swap out running with eating pasta i guess uh and then they meet sabalba and uh i can't ever remember that character's name so i just thought of him as sabalba every time i watched <laughs> that movie he's the villain of this movie he's just like this older teenage young 20s douchebag essentially he's not really evil he's just a prick uh and then yeah every time these two kind of main characters touch water they uh turn into like their sea monster form and so they kind of have to avoid water the entire movie and then towards the end it's about accepting people that are different than you and that is luca did i miss anything I think he covered it. There's that much to cover. Yeah, it's a very simple plot, very small scale for a movie. It takes place all in this little Italian village and kind of a timeless setting. It's one of those things where I got like a very much like a 1950s kind of 1960s kind of vibe where it's still like somewhat modern, but it's before much of technology. There was a radio. I remember that there was a radio on on the back of a Vespa. So yeah, it'd be around like that time period. Um my general thoughts were I thought visually it looked really good story I did not care about that much um like you said oh if I had a gay storyline it would have been better I thought it at least would have been like relatively interesting there were so many parts of the movie I'm so used to Pixar movies the stories being like super original and especially in the beginning it felt very much like it borrowed from other stuff like a there are definitely some Little Mermaid vibes of like the young boy in the beginning wanting to like see the land, you know, see land, and he collected all of these little trinkets from land, and then you have this race that just completely reminded me of the you know Star Wars Episode One pod race, especially with the character that they said looked like a catfish, which was the inspiration for the look of Sebulba, and <laughs> I was just like, oh, so this is just the pod race from Episode One, and it, it was just like a lot of elements that didn't really feel original to me. The look of it, great. The story itself was fine i think if it came out from any company that wasn't disney no one would even be talking about this movie at all other than like oh it looks good yeah i'm in a similar boat i thought it looks gorgeous and uh i i have to imagine they based this island i went to off of the trinketeri which is a really popular uh travel destination in italy where there's these villages along the ocean and they had those really colorful buildings on the side that I think are really iconic for Italy. And it looks, it captures that feeling really well, not just the look of it, but just like the beachy kind of tone of it, like these 
vibey towns you're just kind of hanging out and and it has that nostalgic kind of feel to it so i liked the movie i liked the feel and look of it i thought the characters were fine enough for what the story was trying to tell but unfortunately i think the story is the biggest problem here i think it's just very derivative you mentioned a lot of the things that it's kind of similar to but i felt that a lot i'm i'm fine with these animated kids movies feeling like their plots don't have to be magnificent you know it don't have to be like super groundbreaking or anything like that but when you're seeing like okay the kid wants to go do this thing and the parent tells them they can't because they're overprotective and the kid's gonna do it anyway and they're gonna learn a lesson and it's like the whole first act of this movie i just felt like okay i've seen this like so many times from the studio and it just starts to feel like they're at this point where they're not necessarily putting their all into these storylines anymore and they're like oh we can just make it pixar make it look good and make it about family and heartfelt vibes or whatever and people will like it and i'm starting to get over it a little bit this feels a bit easy it feels a bit lazy to me a little bit i would say yeah, like uh, we were talking before because our last show we did was the Star Wars, or not Star Wars, the uh, movie villains, like the Hall of Fame. And I know Johnny's nomination for animation villain was Sid from Toy Story. And like to me, I don't even think Sid was the villain of that story. If you like look at the story itself, the villain of that story to me is Woody. And it's his kind of v- villain redemption arc is the focus of that story. And it was just like this wholly original story that I hadn't seen anything like that before. I mean, granted, it came out in 1995 when I was two, but even like watching movies that came out before that or after that, it's not really a story I've seen like that ever. And this just felt like very derivative of other things I've seen. Like this almost felt like it was an idea for a Pixar short and they didn't, which I think it could have made a really cool, fun, interesting, like 10 minute short film about the race. And then they realized that they didn't have a feature-length movie to come out this year, and they were just like, oh, we'll just extend the short out to, like, an hour 15. I want to say this is the director's first feature film. Yeah, and I was looking it up because I know he's done, like, a lot of stuff for uh, Pixar before. It's, like, various, you know, behind-the-scenes director-type stuff. Uh, but I think this is kind of his first feature-length film. But either way, it's like like, someone at Pixar should have been like, yeah, we've you need to like put some kind of original originality like into this story. I saw yeah. someone on because uh, uh, every time I watch like a relatively recent movie, I always look at the uh, official discussion thread on Reddit, and someone said this movie would have been a whole lot better if it focused on the other boy, and like his whole thing about his dad abandoning him, mm-hmm. and then like learning to be accepted as a sea monster, and then his friend. When he, it's finally revealed he's a sea monster, his friend betrays him, and then he's been going on these fishing trips uh, with this, like, girl's dad, and then this girl's dad is, like, that we never, we know it happens because they reference it, and he's out, like, helping him fish, but we don't see it except for the first time when both boys are there, but then afterwards it's just him, and with him, like, giving him fatherly advice, and then finally his friend goes away. Uh, and he decides to stay uh, with like essentially this new dad and I feel like that would have been a different original kind of story you know you could have kept all the same animation and I think overall it just would have been a hundred times better of a movie yeah I just think this doesn't feel quite polished I don't want to harp on it the whole time we're doing it but like yeah yeah, the story just doesn't feel like it's quite all there and I looked up the director and 
this is his first feature length film. He was put on the map for doing all these work behind the scenes of Pixar all, Pixar all the time. But I think what got him this spot was that he did La Luna, a short film for Pixar that was the opening short for Brave. So I think you can tell that his experiences in short film and he had a good core concept here of like the the visuals of the fish the sea monster when he's in the water when he's in the in yeah. the uh air he's a human and they have yeah. to figure out how to get along and they have to figure out that just because you're different doesn't mean you're worse and you cannot yeah. be it yeah. still is like a, a good core story concept yeah. but it's not fleshed out enough to make it a feature yeah. like film i think the the villain's a big problem too like you mentioned the villain is kind of like this douchey Vespa driver guy and I think there's been so many really iconic memorable Pixar villains like you said Johnny tried to put one on our uh, Hall of Fame they were so good and I think you you think about characters like even Lotso from Toy Story 3 you remember him and I think Uh, the the specter or or the prospector from Toy Story 2 is even the prospector yeah, I think a Kevin's, lot of Pixar has Kevin Spacey's Grasshopper, like. <laughs> yeah, Pixar has created iconic villains, and I think they didn't put the work in on this one, no. and unfortunately, it shows. And mm-hmm. it was an enjoyable watch. I'm glad I watched it, but it's easily going to be something like Good Dinosaur, where it becomes like a forgotten Pixar movie that nobody really talks about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would have loved like when they showed that there was like people fish monsters that have been like secretly living in this village the whole time with like those two women. I would have loved if like the villain was revealed at the end to also be a sea monster hiding in plain sight that was like had somehow figured out that they were the two boys were sea monsters and was trying to get rid of them because he was like, well, if they figure them out, that they figure me out. And like that was like a big ending kind of reveal, some, just something that was more interesting than ah, eh, this guy's fucking a douche. I 100% thought it was. I mean, I didn't think it was gonna be a gay movie, but I was getting some like queer baiting vibes uh, from the characters, and I was like, oh, it'll be interesting if Pixar had like the first out gay yeah. characters in their movie, and it was like, oh, you could be different and still be okay, yeah. and yeah. But I, I, you know, it's a little too gutsy for Disney, I guess. Yeah. I liked it overall, though. I mean, it was fine, but it's not something memorable for me. Yeah. And I like the visuals. It's, I think if you're going to sit back and I had my lights on, my reactive lights, so it looked kind of cool, and it was nice to just sit back and look at it and get that beachy kind of summer vibe for it. So if you're looking for something to get you warmed up, feel like you're laying out in the sun, it's a nice kind of sun vibe movie, but not something that I'd really recommend yeah. for anybody outside yeah. of like the niche of people who like these. Yeah. Um, what do you do today? Uh, not much. Alright, so... She has muted right working. now, so I'm going to tell um, you guys about how much... Uh, when I went to Italy, it was a lot like this, though. You get, you got these kind of vibey, vibey beach towns like that, and I think they definitely mentioned uh, bases off Trinkateri. I was looking back to my photos, trying to see if I had any old photos from the trip, but I do not. All right, I'm back. I, I can't have... tell if Joe is talking or not because I've muted his mic on Streamlabs, but I'll, I'll mute him right now. How you doing, Joe? Uh, I'm good. Just a second. You. Uh... Uh, all right, I'm good. So they're doing drywall work in my house today, so they were just asking if it's all right. Uh, but, yeah, so oh well. we're good now. Yeah. I was telling the audience about how 
Uh, when I went on a trip to Italy, they captured that kind of feeling really well of these small towns, and that's something that I liked a lot about this, is that it just captured this timeless kind of classical era. Like you said, there's not like modern technology, there's no cell phones being pulled up, but there's nothing to super date it to any specific moment in time, so it has that yeah. kind of yeah, timeless very... charm of wandering into this beachy city, and I like that about it. Yeah, I, I know I was harping on this movie, but I would say strategically for timelessness of a movie, I think that's far and away the better way to go. Like, obviously, like I said, there was the radio, which is a quick reference, but I think trying to make especially an animated movie modern with how much technology changes rapidly is always going to, I think it's going to date a movie very quickly. Like, I know we've talked about Chef before with Twitter and everything. And even, like, the look of Twitter has changed so much that when you watch this movie, you're like, oh, that definitely came out in, like, 2014. Just based mm -hmm. on, like, the look of Twitter and the everything about Twitter. And I feel like you're better off just trying to go for a more timeless feel. There may be a point where technology gets to such a degree that it kind of stagnates and stops. But I think especially right now, trying to put much technology into your movie is always going to date it. So I think, yeah, going for that timeless... 50s to 80s kind of feel they they could tell me oh yeah this movie takes place in 1981 or it takes place in you know 1959 and i'd believe it either way yeah overall it was okay like we said but unfortunately especially compared to soul which i thought was really creative and innovative and it was not necessarily something i've seen in pixar before like it had a lot of the emotional beats that pixar uses but i think the the premise was really interesting and unique and i think this it took a premise that's not that unique and it did something not that unique with it like it didn't even yeah. use the premise in a groundbreaking yeah. even slightly interesting way so yeah but i would almost call this my least favorite pixar movie although i haven't yeah. seen cars 3 so it could be could that one could be worse yeah i haven't seen cars 2 or 3 i haven't seen uh, a good dinosaur so i can't really say that and some of them like a bug's life i haven't watched in so long but i know a lot of people talk crap on that one so i can't say anything but of the is this going to be in my rotation of movies that i watch no like I, i'm definitely if you gave me like uh, okay you have to watch a pixar movie right now i'm gonna pick all three toy stories before that i'm gonna pick monsters inc before that you know I'll, I'd even be like, I haven't watched The Bug's Life in a long time. I'm going to check that out before I'd watch this again. Granted, I watched I watched it essentially for the first time this morning, so it's kind of because it's like I just watched it that's also going to knock it down on my list of wanting to rewatch. but yeah. If you gave me uh, Ryan the Last Dragon, I just watched not like last week, and I'd throw that on before this for sure. I'm almost at the point now where I feel like at least as far as current movies that Disney animation has surpassed Pixar because you look at Disney animation's recent movies you have like Frozen which I I never I didn't watch Frozen 2 but Frozen 1 is pretty good you know Tangled is up there I really like Ryan the Last Dragon I really like Moana and then you have Coco as well and then what's Pixar put out in that time period nothing like great what do you, I mean uh what Toy Story 4, which I would have liked better if they had just called it Woody, because I feel like it goes against a lot of the themes and messages of Toy Story. Um, <laughs> like, hey, yeah, do it all for the kid. The kids are the most important. Like, even if you're a toy, it doesn't matter. Toy Story 4, fuck kids. I'm a toy. I'm going to do what I want. Um, yeah, and I look at the upcoming list of Pixar movies, too, and there's not a lot that entices me. Like, they're doing a Buzz Lightyear prequel kind of 
a space it's adventure like, it's movie ba- thing? Basically a space adventure movie, and they're basically like, okay, this is about the real Buzz Lightyear that the toy and, I guess, show were based off of. Speaking of which, why is Buzz Lightyear Star Command not on Disney Plus? Oh, I watched that a lot when I was a kid. That would be a fun nostalgia watch. I want to give you like, a correction. Disney, Disney has to own it. Like, why is it not on Disney Plus? Before we get a bunch of, you know, haters in the comments correcting us live, I'll tell you that Coco was a Pixar movie. <laughs> oh, wait, so, Coco was Pixar? It's just, like, to me, it doesn't feel like a Pixar movie. Just It feels more like Disney animation just because a lot of the Pixar movies, like, people make that meme of, like, what if bugs had feelings? What if toys had feelings? What if cars had feelings? What if monsters had feelings? Where Coco, like, obviously they go to, like, the Day of the Dead realm and, like, there's the skeletons. But for the most part, to me, Coco feels more, like... A Disney animation movie, I guess I would. It feels more like a Frozen and a Raya and the Last Dragon and a Tangled and, you know, that than a Monsters, Inc. or a Finding Nemo or a Toy Story. Yeah, and they've, they've had a couple of misses since then. I thought Incredibles 2 was all right, but a, not not as, yeah. not as good a huge as step first, down yeah. from the first one for me. I thought Toy Story 4 was fine, but not necessary, you know, and didn't really add a lot to the, to the franchise. Oh. Onward was all right. Yeah, Onward was fine. I thought like Onward was very ba- Onward was a very basic story, but they're like, oh, it's not basic because they're elves, and I'm like, okay, <laughs> whatever. And Soul I thought was a really great one. I thought I was hoping it'd be a return to form and kind of like a, a beginning of greatness once again for Pixar, but Soul unfortunately was... Luca feels like a step backward. It's so, a lot like Onward, I guess, where it's like a very traditional story told in a slightly non traditional way. Soul felt like an animated movie made for adults. Like, I remember midway through this where I'm like, I can't imagine my, like, seven-year-old niece and nephews enjoying this movie about a 40-year-old guy playing jazz. And comparatively, when I watched Luca, I did feel like I I think my niece would be into this. Like, you know, this is something that I think is much more made for kids. It feels like Pixar is back on this train of, like, okay, one for us, one for you kind of thing where Soul was was one for them. It was a kind of, like, award-contending like really groundbreaking movie that was different from anything else and then Luca was like okay sell a ticket to the kids kind of movie I'm looking forward to it though their next movie is called Turning Red I don't think there's much out about it right now it's March 11th 2022 directed by Dami Shi so is it gonna be like a dragon like turning red before he even gave like a director's name like for whatever reason i was envisioning like a dragon maybe it's just because i've been talking about raya and the last dragon but then (laughs) the director's name sounded asian so like i'd be down for like a pixar asian inspired dragon movie uh according to the synopsis it's called a young girl's devotion to a boy band who uncontrollably okay what I okay. gotta read that again. That's a lot of that's that's a weird premise. A young girl's devotion to a boy band who uncontrollably poofs into a giant red panda. Oh, okay. So I was <laughs> close. It's Asian inspired, but just a panda, not a dragon. I, th- I read it. I think I read it the backwards. So I guess the girl turns into the into the uncontrollable red panda. I thought the uh-huh. boy band turned into the panda. I was like, <laughs> oh interesting but i like the, it's a it's a unique premise i'm really looking i'm looking forward to that honestly i think that's a unique uh modern thing like yeah the, that, that was rising. our problem that was my problem i mean granted you could say oh boy a sea monster like enters a triathlon or like two sea monsters enter a triathlon and be like oh that's an original story i've never seen before and i'd be wrong 
Uh, but you, you, like that to me sounds like more an original thing that doesn't sound derivative of other things. But I could watch it and be like, oh, this is literally School of Rock, but one of them is a red panda. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, it's another one where uh, it's a short film director who's doing her first yeah. feature film, so it'll be interesting to see how she does it. She recently did the one called Bao, I believe. It was about the oh, little yeah, dumpling. That was cool. Yeah, I like Bao. That was, like, sad. And I saw people say this movie, Luca, was, like, a sad tearjerker, and, like, at no point was I... Like, the only <laughs> point where I was, like, semi-sad was when uh, Luca basically betrayed the his friend and, like, outed him as a sea monster and then, like, ran away. That was the only part where I was like, oh, that kind of sucks. But, like, at no... Like, there's movies where I'll, like, tear up. At no point during that movie was I even, like, remotely close to being, like, oh, my God, I'm so sad. Yeah, like there was so a moment. Get to me like that, and this didn't necessarily do that for me either. There was a moment in the last episode of Superman and Lois where I legit like teared up, and you need to catch up on the show so I can fucking talk to that about that show with yeah, somebody. Like, I'll catch up on it. I just you know too much Disney Plus to watch. You know, I will <laughs> gotta say, watch Loki three times. So our Disney Plus review next week is canceled. We are doing a Superman <laughs> and Lois retrospective uh, where we talk about all the episodes that have been released. So you, you got to step on it. Yeah, go ahead and binge it. Instead of instead of watching Loki, I got this, you know. Yeah. That moment, though. They, they, they I can also hear, I can hear him. Yeah, they also... On the all. <laughs> yeah, so they're fixing a uh, ceiling in my... in one of our rooms from when the tree caved in. Uh, but yeah, there was a moment that they also explained something that's always bothered me in Superman lore, but... Hey, maybe next week we'll talk about that. If I catch up in time, we can do a little uh, segment on Joe rants about Superman and Lois. And how about how good it is, and how if you're not watching this show, what the fuck are you doing? Next week, I don't think we have a movie to cover. It might be our first Disney Plus week yeah. without a movie. We did Corella our first week, and we have Luca this week. I don't think anything drops um, next week. No, I thought about binging that uh, John Stamos coach show, but nah, fuck it. I don't care. You don't about have. It. I don't care. You're not gonna torture yourself. It looks too much like the Mighty Ducks Game Changers, and like I already have one show about kids' sports in my life. So next week, though, I want to do a quick review of Monsters Inc. because I'm gonna be rewatching Monsters Inc. and also Monsters University leading up to Monsters at Work. So I think my plan is for next week I'll be doing a quick take on Monsters Inc. I haven't seen it since it came out probably, and then I'll be doing. Monsters University, I haven't seen that since it came out in theaters for sure. <laughs> Alright. So I'll be doing a quick take on those two over the next two weeks. Alright, and uh, do you have anything else to say about our for our Disney Plus review? No, it was a good one. Unfortunately, Luca didn't quite live up to my expectations of it, but it was fun to watch it, and I'm looking forward to what Disney Plus can drop on us next. Yeah, same. Uh, I'm looking forward to... I'll probably watch Black Widow in the theater, but when that goes to disney premiere i think we'll review that as well uh i will say monday seven o'clock tristan bobby myself and whoever wants to play along with us will be playing jackbox games all audience members you know as long as they're not pieces of shit are free to play with us uh and then we'll be back for our disney plus review next week and i think uh all of our main shows uh you know whether we're doing a hall of fame that week a regular show um, a Mount Rushmore, whatever, will be debuting 7 o'clock on YouTube uh, on Friday nights. We want to have at least somewhat of that consistent time for YouTube and our podcast. Uh, 
informed because our Twitch keeps jumping around. We're hoping that maybe any kind of set schedule will help our audience grow and kind of this whole sporadic schedule might be partially what's hindering us from growing. So if we can always be like, hey, Friday at 7, that's when our shows debut on YouTube. Maybe we can help grow that consistent audience. So uh, that's all I have to say. Trying to get out of here before the pounding continues. But I think the pounding is going to continue all day. <laughs> pound, 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 pound. I'm sure you can hear it on the mic. Uh, they got young God of Mischief out there, Joe. Any any final thoughts, Tristan? Or are you good? No, nope, it was a fun one. Let's let's uh, have Joe lose this week. Uh, we're not competing this week. It's just oh, it's that's just, right. We're not just, competing. <laughs> it's just Shackbox, so I'll probably lose some of the games. But yeah, uh, I will say uh, next week, uh, not this upcoming week, but next week uh, is Bobby and I in the realm of forgotten movies. I have yet to start any of my pitches. I would have done it, but then we were doing Jackbox this week, and I'm like, oh, I'll just wait. I don't care. I got time. All right. See you guys. Have a nice day.